Today's podcast features father-daughter duo Bob and Una Walkenhorse from Kansas City, Missouri. We recently met Bob and Una at the release show for their new record, For Tomorrow. For sure, they can be seen as a powerful family duo. But before we had Bob and Una Walkenhorse, we had Bob and Una chasing their own songs, finding their own magic. Today, we'll dive deeper into that story. We hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Sean. And I'm Corey. Welcome to the Shadowscape Podcast. We are here back in Kansas City, feeling good. It's cold, but it's been warm outside. Yeah, it's warm in here. It's very warm in here. We have candles, we have oil lamps, and we have some warm personalities with us today. It's what we think. We think we're gonna find out. We're gonna gonna get out our pickaxes. They they did mention that it was physically warm in here when they came in, so they are at least warm humans. So that's good. That's good. Well, today we have Bob and Una, and it's Walkenhorst, right? You got it. Perfect. Is that German? Very, very German. If you've ever, ever listened to our podcast or met me, you know that I have a specific and large fear of saying people's names out loud. Like, it's particularly if it's not like something extremely... Stevens. Yeah, yeah, like as long as it's like, I just, I'm so terrified. We've had so many guests who have so many unique names and somehow I always end up saying them, even though I feel like in that moment I can barely read or pronounce like any language whatsoever. So even though ours is long, it's pretty much each syllable is just what it looks like. And I mean, I feel like if you can say my name, like you, I, I... People never say my name correctly, Her first and name. you got that. <laughs> what do right. they start with? Oh, what? they just start with whatever they feel like. I mean, they just throw whatever letters Una. they want in there. Why Ona. not? You know, why not? Lina, like Lina. Who know? It's really there's. It's like it's there's endless. three letters. Yeah. How hard can Let, it be? It's hard. I just Apparently assumed <laughs> that it was like, like. So one of my favorite names is Luna, mm-hmm. and I just assumed, well, just take exactly. the L off. And, yeah. No, not that simple. Apparently. Well. <laughs> We That's did okay. it. You I guys feel did like, it. I feel like we've Off had a successful a podcast. We can just stop here. It's been great. Thanks for joining us. Today. <laughs> well, cool. Well, you guys are both from Kansas City right now. Or at mm-hmm. least you're living here. Were you raised in Kansas City? Yes, I was. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but you were a little bit outside of town. Yeah, I grew up about an hour east of here, a little town called Norburn, Missouri. But I also lived down in Branson for several years, down where you guys came from. Mm. That area. The Ozarks. The Ozarks. <laughs> Is there something that kept you wanting to be in Kansas City? Because it didn't seem like you went too far. Well, when when the my band started having success in the '80s, and there were there were a number of musicians that left Kansas City to move to the coasts. Uh, lots of guys I knew from Springfield moved to the coasts, and we found that as long as you were willing to to get in a bus and go somewhere or a van, more accurately, <laughs> uh, it didn't really matter where you lived, and it was just much easier to stay centrally located. And you know, this is where family and Roots were. I didn't really ever have the desire to go to the coast. Huh. It's, I rarely hear people say that, which <laughs> is strange because that is the exact same story that we dealt we with. We preach it, live it, breathe it. We mm-hmm. love, we think like our families are here, our lives are here. It's cheaper to live here. By far. And, as, and as long as, like like you said, as you're willing to just, I mean, yeah. you're going to travel anyway for yeah. all these tours. So it, it never made sense to us. All our friends, like, abandoned ship and moved to Nashville and LA <laughs> were there for a few years and then came back mm-hmm. with like their hearts broken and their careers well, it's broken. Empty. <laughs> but I th- and I think you can, I think artistically for me, at least you can get artistically disoriented if you transplant yourself 
too much. That's that's what I felt like. I never thought about that. That a lot of what I was writing about had to do with being from here. Mm -hmm. And I could write about that better if I was here. That's true. Now, that's not true for everyone, but it was for me. So that was another one of the elements that kind of kept me here. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've never, unlike most artists, I've never said, heard you say the word California in a song. Yeah. And I feel, <laughs> Good for you. We applaud you for that, Bob. That's There's a lots lot of, of places I haven't mentioned in songs. <laughs> that's good. I don't know that I've mentioned New York either. You may have mentioned Missouri more times than, than any other anyone artist. else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that can be your legacy. Yeah, really. Let's, let's talk to Guinness Records about, <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you're only a few away, you could just kind of get a couple more yeah. out there. Yeah, just to set the record. <laughs> I do know you have mentioned New York City in one song, because I heard it today when we were listening. So, Boy. Which one? Now I'm puzzled. New York City, Kansas City. Oh, yeah. New York City, it is in there, and drinking on the job. <laughs> All Great big city, itty bitty city. There you go. Yeah. I, can, I can remember very few things, but if I hear it in a song, it's, yeah. it's there. Yeah. So. Right well, you've remembered it better <laughs> yeah. than I did. <laughs> That's that's the thing, though. I think once you get maybe pa- two records past your previous work, I, I can't remember half of the songs that hey, I've written. And from I don't 2000, have, got yeah, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. My, 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 my mom remembers them. You know, some, some random fan might remember them, but I don't even remember some of them exist, so no blame there. You guys just released a brand new album this October? Right. I would love to talk about that. I, I got to experience it in yes, person. you were with us. I yeah. was. And I was in the audience, but oh, you were I was hiding too. in the shadows. Yeah, <laughs> It's easy it for him to hide. Hiding in the shadows is usually where I am. Mm-hmm. So Sounds like that. an album title. <laughs> it's a good place. <laughs> That's going to be my next uh, solo album next year, Hiding, hiding in the, the Shadows, Una Walking Horse. We're putting it down right here. <laughs> um, but you guys had a new record come out. You, you, you printed it on vinyl. I bought the vinyl. I would love to talk <laughs> about your record in, in a lot of different ways. For one, I love your record. I I really do. Thank, Thank you. you. It's always, it wasn't as much of a kind of a chance thing because before the show, everyone talked about how great you guys were. So I kind of, I was going into the show going, okay, this is going to be good, you know. But, you know, I'll call you a local artist for now, but like purchasing anything from a local artist for me is always a gamble because you're like, they could be great, they could, mm-hmm. could be not. Your album is incredible. As someone who didn't grow up with vinyl, really, but like over the years has like acquired a lot, and and, and particularly like even large artists look just listening to vinyl and you know that trying to appreciate the the format and, and the medium. I was astounded how good it sounded, just from a sonic yes. perspective. <laughs> well, are you so happy right now to hear that? I <laughs> want to jump in on that and say that that it was terrible. That no, as an engineer. I I find two kinds of modern vinyl. There is modern vinyl that was mixed and mastered for vinyl. And there is modern vinyl where they made a record to go out on Spotify and they just took that record and sent it and had it pressed to vinyl, which then sounds like garbage because vinyl is all about dynamic and headroom. And so what I wanted to ask was, because uh, I heard it, I listened to the vinyl, and it's so open and it's so natural and it's so like what vinyl should sound like, but with modern technology, (laughs) um, that what I wanted to know is where'd you record it? Who'd you make it with? Who engineered it? Who mixed it? Did they have that in mind? Or is it just you? Bob walking horse. It it was me. We recorded it at home. The man of all the hats. You recorded it this at home. Uh Hold on. I have to shake your hand. Uh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that was the that sound was a, of a handshake. That was the sound of we a recorded it in the clothes closet upstairs in the. That was our isolation booth. <laughs> you have great ears. 
uh, what's left of them, you know? Uh, I think what's left of your ears as far as like, like musically, I think what's left of your ears is probably better than most people's. And I know what I, I know what I can't hear. That's important too. Right. It's, but, uh, because I've worked in sound for so long, I, I know how to, to describe it. I know if there's something wrong that I have to relate to someone else, I know how to tell them. I know what the name of the frequency is. Even if it's a frequency I don't hear well anymore, right. I can say that's the frequency that we're dealing, that we're, that's the trouble spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a great believer in just chance. When Una and I started to record this, um, we knew we wanted to keep it very simple. We wanted to keep it very true to just two humans sitting there with acoustic guitars singing. So we didn't add a lot. And that right there starts making it really, starts simplifying the whole process in that this is not going to get bigger than life. This is going to be life. We're trying to record life Mm -hmm. here. So we recorded the guitars sitting four or five feet apart, just facing each other. And we didn't record the vocals live with the guitar. We recorded maybe I think one song we did because we yeah. the timing was so yeah it was just too hard to do it yeah we could, there so one song we did live vocals with it but so so right there it's like you got two guitars you got two open mics with no isolation between them that right there is sonically very cool yeah you know instead of just one great mic well you got one great mic bleeding into another <laughs> mm-hmm. what well, and they weren't even great mics they were just good mics <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but you know where to put them and you've yeah. got decent guitars and. And you got good songs, so you can only go so wrong uh, if you've worked hard on the first part. But the you've all, you also part. put thought into you know the actual sound of the vinyl and and talked with um, you know the guys who were printing it and stuff. Um, and we ended up getting our vinyl. We we ended up getting vinyl because we knew we were going to Norway, and Norway they sell more vinyl than CDs usually. Um, so by the time we got our test print. We, we were like, okay, we're going to listen to it. And if it's not what we want, that's too bad because there's yeah. like, there's no more time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really glad that you guys like it. Yeah, and and so much good. of that is, is chance, both the chance of there's so many steps in the, in the vinyl manufacturing for things to go wrong, but also the chance, are you getting a, a mastering engineer who, who you can work with, who you can talk to and, I just picked up, I picked somebody who had been referred and I don't even know where he is and I can't remember his name right now. And he mastered it and sent it to me and I said, here's what I don't like about it. He goes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let me change that. And then he sent it back and it's like, like, okay, that sounds good. So, you know, having a person who's willing to to not just say, I know this better than you do. Right. Instead, just be able to say, what what do you want this to sound like? Mm -hmm. Um. And, and here, and his expertise were, and this is what will work better on vinyl, and this is what will not work better on vinyl. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really have to do a lot of back and forth. There was just one time he he mastered each song, sent it back. I said, change these things. He sent it back again. I said, we're good. Let's go. Wow. And then, and then when you get the test pressing, like like Una was saying, you sure hope that it's. <laughs> it sounds good because you don't have another three months right. Right. before you need this to go on tour with. And we were lucky there too. And we dealt with a really yeah. good company that uh, got a groove. You've probably, you probably dealt, a lot of people they have were, dealt with They were great for They us, were really yeah. good. Really responsive. Got yeah. a groove? Got a groove. Got a, G-O-T-T-A. Mm-hmm. Got a groove. Groove, okay. Yeah. And they do great. So, you know, we just did an edition of 500. So they're really good with small small numbers, got a call back on the art, think you should tweak this. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay, let's tweak that. Mm. Very helpful. So, yeah, they're very yeah. good. 
Man, that's really cool. So your mastering engineer, did he give you two separate masters, one for vinyl, one for, for streaming? Or is it, did he pretty much master for vinyl and you took your vinyl master and stuck it out for, well, for streaming? <laughs> <laughs> Back when the Rainmakers were starting to record uh, in our own studio, mm-hmm. we had this process called mastering while you mix. Uh-huh. I, I, yes, yeah. <laughs> if you can get it to sound exactly like you want it while you're mixing, why why depend on yet another step to make it sound the way you want it? Make it sound like you want it now. So there was no mastering for CD. The the mastering engineer, and I'm going to try to wind, try to wrap up this technical stuff first, even though it, it, to some that's people it's interesting. It. Yeah, that's okay. But there's, um, lost my train of thought. Uh, so when the mastering engineer says, here's what I want you to send me, take off your last stage of compression and take off your last stage of equalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and send it to me, you know, 3 dB, minus 3 dB. So I've got some place to go with this. Mm-hmm. I, I know exactly what he means. And sure. again, that's just from years of experience. I know what he's asking for, so I can provide him with what he's asking for. You're mixing with that two-bus comp on. Yeah. Well, you're taking I, it off. Yeah, I'm taking it off. To let him the, do a better last, job of it. My last step of mastering for CD you just unclick those two buttons and you're ready for vinyl. Right. You're ready for the for the mastering engineer for vinyl. And that's one of the things with Gotta Groove Records is they said, we require you send your tracks to a professional mastering lab. You can't just send us this, which I think is, is good on their part in that going to a mastering lab is not cheap. I mean, that's another, add, you know, another chunk of money, but you're going to be happier. You, the artist, is going to be happier in the end they, the manufacturer, is not are not going to be saying we told you, you know, this was not going to work. <laughs> and they and they're a good deal. I mean, we paid more for you know to do that, but in the end, I think we it, it still ended up not being as much as we thought it was going to be. Right. It was still uh, that still a good it, chunk, but yeah. like <laughs> not you know. But it it made it cost effective to where you have as as an artist, a working artist, mm-hmm. a full time musician, you can afford to do that. You can afford to do it, and right. hopefully, and and it's at a price point where you can make make a living with and it. it's going to be good yeah, and it ended up being good so i appreciate you guys your guys's uh votes of confidence on yeah. the yeah. Yeah. procedure well, cuz so your new record for tomorrow i i i'm a big fan and, and maybe this is weird but like when i listen to a vinyl i'm a i'm a first listen i have to go all the way through and i'm a i'm a kind of like position myself between the two speakers sit down and just close my eyes and and it, for me, that's just the only way I listen to a vinyl the first time. And there's there's very few records that like I just kind of feel it pain over me. Like I can understand and I can feel like I feel like I can crawl underneath kind of the, the sheets, if you will, and just let it go. And I and felt stay like, there, yeah, stay there for the duration. Yeah, and th- I really felt like, and, and I know this is, just seems like I'm like just too kissing butt. Yeah, <laughs> but but really, like if anyone like our listeners know, my friends know, Sean knows, like I. I, I, I'm not like, I don't like to edify and lift up if it's not true. Like, I just really felt like this record was, it was really special. And I'd like to just hear your perspective, like where this record came from, where these songs came from and, and just what inspired, you know, kind of maybe not every individual song, but just this piece of work and how it came together. Well, first of all, thank you. Like that, that's really a big compliment, especially from someone who takes in so much music. Um, I don't know. I think that we had both talked for a while about doing some kind of project together, um, for 
you know, it was always like in the back of our minds, but we didn't really know if or when it would really happen. And then, um, last year, kind of like towards the end of last year, um, in 2017, uh, I decided that I was going to probably move away from New Orleans where I'd been living for uh, about two and a half years. And we realized that that might be a, a good window of time for us to come together and see what an album would look like. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, as far as the album as a whole, I think, I don't know, I don't think we quite, we knew like kind of the general thing that we were going for, the vibe for the album is as far as like voices being kind of the most important part, just the voices and guitar. But, um, we didn't have like, it definitely ended up being more political than we uh, <laughs> went into it. Yeah. Welcome to 2018. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. really. You can't make an album without it being political anymore. Not if you're, if you're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. And, and I think Una and I, as artists, we, we each individually very much trust instinct. Mm -hmm. And we knew that if we, if we combined our, music, uh, our musical abilities, our musical approaches, our musical instincts, our voices yeah. and our histories that if we, it's one of those things where you kind of clear your mind, clear the path and good things will happen. And the kind of the path that we had to clear was me stopping being dad who knows more right? and her stopping being the child who, who, who is resist as maybe a little resistant to right. parental yeah. uh, direction. And we each had our, our <laughs> job to do there, you know, was I resistant to your parental <laughs> direction? <laughs> I think, I think that, I think it's totally natural. Yeah. Know, really? I mean, I think that we both had to get past yeah, that. The, the father daughter the part father -daughter and more to the part. musician part. And I know yeah, that was a big definitely. step for me. And when I, and when we got there, I was like, Oh yeah, cool. Things are happening now. Where where I was just hearing, I could get to the point where I could just hear Una as a fellow songwriter and a really good singer that I want to work with. Oh yeah, she's my daughter too. But that was that was we would get to a point where that wasn't even yeah part kind of part of what was going anymore. on. Yeah, like definitely. I mean, if you listened, hopefully, if you like didn't know what was going on and you listened to the album and you heard us playing together, I mean, I don't think you would think, oh, that's a father daughter like duo. Right. Like, yeah. No, right. it's just two no singer songwriters who are, yeah. yeah. I know, like, for me in my life, songwriting, performing, creating, it's a very private, very intimate, vulnerable vulnerable thing. Yeah. I don't let anybody in. I don't, I'm, if somebody walks in on me writing a song, it's like they walked in on me naked to put it politely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so I think about, you know, and I also think about my relationship with my parents and how honesty and almost like more like us being just friends and adults didn't really happen until like upper twenties. And it's been like a really cool revelation. And I think about trying to create art with one of my parents. And I think that it would be not only one of the greatest challenges, but so, um, edifying and beneficial for our relationship as family members. I'm curious, and I'll break this into two major chunks. What did music look like for the two of you as with you as a young, as, as a, young daughter mm -hmm. living at home dependent did you guys sit in the family room and jam together or was it this private we don't really because dad takes it serious and I take it serious and we just don't really cross there or was it a togetherness first off and secondly what did that what did that evolution look like feel like and how have you changed through it um, I know that's a lot of big <laughs> to throw at you but it's all to, no, to yeah, me it's all connected yeah. so well I think um, I mean we definitely didn't 
weren't like jamming together. <laughs> I think, you know, we would sing like Beatles songs together and we would, but um, I don't think I even let you guys know that I was taking music seriously until I was like it was so way into it. Yeah, because yeah. it was so private. Like I didn't let anybody in. And still now, yeah, it's like one of the one of my big uh hardships of I think uh existing in where when rent is so crazy expensive is I have such a hard time not living by myself because I cannot have people present when I'm writing. Right. <laughs> like I have to be by myself. I um yeah, and and we we went into this thinking that we would maybe do a little bit of co-writing and that didn't happen quite in the truest sense. We definitely like gave each other input on songs, but we didn't really do a true co-write on this cuz we're both I think just too um in our heads about when we're, you know, writing a song. And and songwriting for me is is always been that balance of craft and magic you yeah. know and hoodoo <laughs> and, and i epiphany i, I very right. much believe the in the trance part of creating art that it's hard to get into the if you're really depending on the trance part trance part which i always have mm -hmm. and i think una does too yeah definitely. where you you kind of go in, into this world and you come out on the other side of it with a song right. and you're not even what sure happened? How, yeah. how you got that i greatly believe in that mm -hmm. and that's hard to do with another person oh, yeah. you can do the craftsmanship part with another right. person and there have been and, fine songs written and totally we, from craftsmanship but. we had an experience a few years ago co-writing a song with enrique chi of making movies and that was really fun and, and like really good. interesting yeah. and, and it ended up being a song we were really proud of but it was definitely more of a like crafted song than right. something we're that just like fell this. out of us like in this passion and it was still a yeah i think it's a great song but but you know we different. each kind of had our trance part of even that right. procedure yeah. in that enrique said I got this idea and it goes, and, and it wasn't even a, what it wasn't it even words. Yeah. Word, yeah. word scheming, rhyme scheming it kind was of just, stuff. It was just kind of, and then we sat with that for sounds. a day and then like all got together. So yeah. I told Una what the syllable count was yeah. and I said, here, you write some, some lines with this syllable count. I'll write some lines with this syllable count and then we'll pull them all together. So we each kind of did our trance yeah. part of that writing procedure That's too. That's true. I think sometimes we don't, we're not often afforded that in the studio with clients because they'll come in with sometimes no song or a very small portion of a song. And they're like, all right, let's do this. And so you kind of just kind of crack your wow. knuckles and go, all mm -hmm. right, like I'm going to sit next to you and I have to find that, that trance spot, which is really funny for me because we can sit here for three hours and I'll get stuck. And my, like my unstuck thing is like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, but because for some reason me going to the bathroom for 12 seconds, I can, I'll come back and be like, I got the bridge. Yeah, like <laughs> I got the bridge. I was washing my hands and there it was. And it's just, but there, there is that, that weird thing. Like I can't, I don't know how many, I mean, I've done so many co-writes, but it's that, it's that 15 seconds walking down the hall. Well, and it's the walking down the hall and it's engaging your body and your mind in something that that's mundane almost that yeah. allows your, your creative mind to, to be set free for a moment, yeah. change the context. I do almost all my writing walking. And, and I will sometimes discipline myself and say, you're going to keep walking until the song's done. Multiple yeah. songs on this album were, That's were that way. Yeah. <laughs> walking, driving, showering, mowing the lawn. Yeah. I find that things like that, it's the equivalent to like the yogi's ohm. Yeah. You know how the ohm works? You do this and you do the ohm and it's just enough to keep the, the motor skills 
and 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 the like the frontal cortex busy so that the creative part can be free you know um and 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 sometimes yeah disengaging from the i'm in this chair i have a notepad i'm searching for a song i have a guitar in my right. hands <laughs> yeah. leaving that alone and instead mowing the lawn and the lawnmower or the vacuum cleaner it it's this drone it's this note and i always by the time i'm done vacuuming or mowing lawn even if it's the stupidest most nonsensical thing about like cinnamon buns or or you know it's usually about cinnamon yeah, buns <laughs> i'll have some weird little jingle ditty going through right. my head to the pitch of that drone and it's the yogi's om you know what i mean but so how has everything been going with this record since the release well this album's been like a really weird experience because we did so much before the actual release here in kansas city like i feel like our release in some ways was like like a like, wrap up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cause we'd, we had just come off doing a, a, a tour in Norway. So we've definitely still been, you know, uh, playing shows with it and stuff. But, um, I think our, our line was <laughs> not really straight as far as like releasing and wasn't promoting. wasn't a very linear and, yeah. release. Yeah. And then, but I think that's also related to the, the generational part of this project in that Una has a musical future ahead of her. I kind of have a musical past behind me mm-hmm. that I'm okay with being at this point where most of my musical life has, has already happened. I don't really have great ambitions to get out there and work it. Um, and so we didn't really know where this album would land in that energy, right. the energy that moves Una forward, the energy that that has moved me forward for my whole life. But, you know, I'm kind of kind of at a different chapter, at a way different chapter than she is. So we're still waiting to kind of see what does, what did this album mean yeah. as far as our careers? We uh, just kind of did it, I think, because it was just seemed like we should do it. Like yeah. it seemed like, you know, this would be a really meaningful and, you know, and we're both good songwriters. It'd probably right. be a good album. Like I think, you know, I think we both knew that this would be something really special. And then whatever happened with it, what happened with it. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of really great things have happened. We've, with had, it. we've, we've had, had a great year. I mean, yeah, you think about a year a ago that, that we... I was still living in You New were Orleans. still living in New Orleans, but we started, we ended last year with with playing at the Uptown on the Bridge mm. Christmas party, which was an unexpected forgot, pleasure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've done, we've done such a variety of shows this year and a, a tour of Norway. So we've, we've been out there playing these songs. Uh, <laughs> For we, like a year. <laughs> yeah. But we haven't actually been you know, promoting and talking right. to management or that kind of thing. Cause I don't that's think that's not really what the point of this yeah, was. Just really making nor is art. it any fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. We just, yeah, we kind of just wanted to letting the art, the, the, the current of the art take you. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see good. where it goes. You know, yeah. I, I kind of believe in the, put the note in the bottle and throw it out there and we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, you said that in writing this record and working together, you, you had to start seeing her as a, a songwriter rather than just a daughter. Um, has your friendship changed or I'm curious about that dynamic between you. If, if it was like a switch you turned on to create and then you were like, okay, now I'm your dad again. Or was it, did it just entirely change the way that you guys coexist as people? I don't know that it, I mean, I think that for quite a while now, and even when I was younger, I've always had a really good relationship with my parents. Like we've always talked a lot and been pretty connected. So I think that it wasn't like a big game changer as far as like we were so distant before and now we're like BFFs. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that we definitely, I think we definitely talk about 
music more. I think that we've shared more stuff and I've been, you know, we, we've had some really nice, uh, in the recording process, some really nice times where for the first time I've really gotten to sit down as an adult who's, you know, going into the music business and, and ask, ask my dad, like, what happened? Like, what, how did that go for you? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and, and hear some, you know, some stories and get some insight into more of like, um, of, I think even, even as you were taking me more seriously as a musician, I was taking you more seriously because you had always been my dad. Like, <laughs> so now to like step back and be like, okay, well, this person is actually also a very accomplished musician and, and with a story that I know bits and pieces of, but not the whole thing. So I think that's been really fun. <laughs> it's funny. I'll be talking about some thing from, from my, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, that I would assume that she knew happened, yeah. and she's like, "I, I never no. knew that happened." <laughs> right? But there's so much you like, can't keep track of it. Well, all. Just you know, just something we didn't talk about yeah. all the right. time yeah. when when she was growing up, and and her sister, and we were, you know, we're a family raising kids, and her. But yeah, Una and her mom and I have always been really open with each other. So there's not been like a change in our our dynamic or our trust level or our communications. So that's always been pretty, I was always the kid with the cool parents. Right. So So you guys are always tight. That's awesome though. That's great. I think a lot of people are like, I wish I had cool parents. (laughs) That's really cool. So you said that you, um, you moved from new Orleans. Mm -hmm. What took you to new Orleans? Why'd you come back? Was Um, Was it just music? It was just a kind of a, I just kind of landed there. Um, it's kind of, I think a, a lot of my life has just kind of been um, kind of like how it was with this album that you kind of put yourself out there and then see where it lands and see what happens. And um, in 2014, I put out a solo album, which we um, also recorded uh, the same way and in the same space. Um, he didn't think it was you on the cover. He was like, but our hair's different. <laughs> I was like, they can do that. It's me. People, people no, that's because it was <laughs> a picture on a flip phone from like 2013 or yeah, 2012 right or something. On. Yeah. So, so who knows what kind of distorted. Yeah. But yes, it is me on my album cover. Um, and so I think I've, it was merely the hair color. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've had so many people had, say though, that I like, just, that's not even you. I, like, I can <laughs> see past hair color and her face looks different. <laughs> so I put that out and then, um, you know, I had played locally just a little bit and we had, you know, I'd done lots of performances with my dad, just singing with him, but I had never, uh, done that much actual, like playing actual shows as a solo artist. And so I decided to not do that in Kansas city cause it would be kind of weird for me. Uh, you know, trying to, I knew that I would probably just get attention from being Bob Walkenhorst's daughter. So I just went out on the road for like a year and a half in my car and started playing open mics and then started booking gigs and then kind of turned that into a tour that ended up just kind of being me living in my car, <laughs> playing playing gigs all over the place. Yeah, so I did that. Um, I, I did kind of a, a back and forth across the, the states a bit and then um, ended up landing in New Orleans and, and playing music down there for a while. And... Um, experiencing just a completely different world. <laughs> and uh, I had lived in, in Brooklyn in New York for a while and and uh, then going to New, to New Orleans was just, uh, yeah, it was just a, a trip. <laughs> mm. So I lived there for about two and a half years and then um, got out of a relationship and just couldn't really find my, couldn't really find my groove there. Um, the, the music scene there is really, 
really hard and I just didn't feel like I was quite in the in the right place anymore like I had kind of spent my time in New Orleans and it would always have a very special place for me but mm-hmm. um then I started trying to figure out where I was going to go next and then we figured out that home yeah this home <laughs> yeah. might be this Kansas chapter might be, might be home be and, place, and recording yeah. this yeah. album really well and sometimes sometimes uh, and I have no idea how old you are but I assume that we're probably close in generation I'm 25 yeah, yeah okay yeah. so mm-hmm. I will never guess a woman's age if she's in <laughs> I think her just 20s. guessing anybody's age is always <laughs> yeah. just kind of it's, it's dangerous tricky. yeah <laughs> but uh, you know I I know that for us like growing up in Springfield, Missouri, like you sort of, I think it's a natural part of the progression. If you grew up small town, rural, and you weren't like deeply a part of the rural community, like your dad wasn't a farmer or something that typically you grew up kind of hating your hometown and where you came from. And then you leave for a few years and then you suddenly see what's special and good and important about it. And so now, now that I don't live in Springfield anymore, (laughs) I adore it you know, and I, and I see what a special place it is. And so I think sometimes too, it takes us stepping out away from home to see what home is. Yeah. You know what I mean, I definitely had that experience, uh, with Kansas city, I think, um, you know, leaving and thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm never going to live here again. Yeah. But I think mostly because I had had some really just like bad experiences with people here. And so I was like, well, all the people in Kansas city are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I came back. I'm like, no, this is a huge city. Of course not all the people are the worst. Right. Like there are some really wonderful people here. <laughs> and I think I kind of like, yeah, aged out of the angst of like, no, everyone there is lame. <laughs> that was my first relationship with Portland. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hated Portland the first few times I went. And now I love it. Yeah, I yeah, I also had not so great first time with Portland. <laughs> is, is yours better now, or do you still? Um, you got a good song out. Yeah, of it. I got a good song out of it. So yeah, okay. kind of love hate, love hate with Portland. Yeah. Oh, is it the one about the? You told a story about a guy. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's called Eugene. It's more uh-huh. about um, uh, going from having a bad time in Portland to having a better time in That's Eugene, awesome. Oregon. So okay, yeah. that wasn't even intentional. So I'm on the I'm um, team uh, Eugene. That's okay. what I'm saying. Cool. All right. <laughs> I had a team great Eugene. time in Portland, but I think it was because I had so much potato champion when yeah. I was there. A lot of poutine there. Yeah, there's just so much potato. <laughs> And cheese. How, how could you have a bad time if that's all you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just was not doing the right thing. I was not having potatoes and cheese. Well, now, now you know. Yeah, now we, I know. We just spent, I, my band spent a month there just recording an album. And so we literally just play music all day. And then we would go to 12th and Hawthorne and there was like a bunch of food trucks and we would just eat crepes and potatoes for like two hours and people watch and then do it all over again. So it was, it was a really good time. Um, Go ahead. No, I, I, I have a feeling we're about to say the same one thing. One of the things that we are really curious about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about your album and making it and the sounds and everything. Um, but what we don't get to ask a lot of people because they just weren't part of it is we, we listened through some Rainmaker stuff and some of the tones and the guitar tones <laughs> and the, all the things that just were going classic on. classic Americana rock and roll things. And, and we're, I'm just really curious, like kind of the evolution of, of gear and guitar amps and, and mics and vocal mics over the years that you might have used or really appreciated or kind of defined your sound because we just don't like everyone. It's like all of our friends are like, Oh, I have this sweet 1970 or this sweet 1960. And, but they didn't get it like unpack it from the, you know, the guitar store and, and put it on the shelf and turn it on for the first Tell time. Tell us some old man stories. <laughs> and I mean that in just like the coolest yeah. way, the coolest way. Like it's, like, it's such I just don't know that perspective. Like what coffee-stained cigarette burned, <laughs> Fender black faces. And uh, I, you know, I'm not a gear guy. Okay, at all. You, people will <laughs> will say what 
kind of, you know, what's the model of your guitar? And I'm like, it's, it's yellow. It's the wood one. It's yellow <laughs> and it's strings. a Fender and that's about all I know. Okay. Uh, so I've never really been gear oriented. Uh-huh. Uh, the other guys in the band were much more gear oriented and I just can't remember sequences of numbers either. So, so model, I can't either. That's model numbers are always just, I, I have no idea. The interesting thing about the the time frame when I got into the music business and got serious about it was we were a twangy, rootsy guitar band, but we we signed our record deal in 1986, which was the beginning of digital recording, which was the height of the, the of the drum machine, right? Which Big was, layered guitars, which was you know ZZ Top synth bass and all this. So here we are, this rootsy, twangy guitar band who is plunged into the 1980s technology of sound, which is a, which is a strange, almost contradictory approach to things. Um, both of the first Rainmakers records were, were recorded at Ardent Studios in, in Memphis, which is a legendary, great, rootsy studio. They were produced by Terry Manning, who's a legendary, great guy, legendary, rootsy, uh, he worked at Stax Records, you know, he, he had recorded, uh, Booker T and the MGs backing up Sam and Dave. He recorded Isaac Hayes. You know, he, he came from this very organic, um, heritage of recording in Memphis. But at the time we met him, he was embracing digital technology. He was embracing programming things. <laughs> so it was a very strange co- co- combination of technology and musical style. We got a good record out of it, a record I really can't listen to to this day because all <laughs> I hear is this terrible, terrible programmed drum sound. Right. Uh, that, that takes you back to songwriting. If the song is good enough, it will transcend those things. So we had, you know, we had a great experience recording in historic Memphis, but we were recording with the newest technology of the time mm-hmm. with great old microphones mm-hmm. <laughs> running through this tube thing and then going into the digital <laughs> console. Uh, so it was, it was really great, a great point to get to see both of these eras using the best of the old technology. And now we're embracing this new stuff with mixed results. You know, mm-hmm. like, again, that's not a drum kit. That's not what a drummer <laughs> sounds like. And, and the the mathematically perfect time through this song, it, it probably would have been better if it wasn't mathematically perfect. Right. And so later on, we're actually re- you know recording live as a band, and I'm much happier listening to those recordings these days. Uh, that being said, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Both the great people that we met and and getting to work on kind of on the tail end of the analog era as it moved into digital. It was, it was great seeing those things. We, uh, we got to record with the Memphis Horns, which is a legendary horn section that played on all those soul records out of Memphis from the 60s and 70s. And they were just these, these southern guys who came in and goes, you know, we, we played a crazy session a couple of days ago. We were, what was that guy's name? Peter Gabriel. We recorded. They had just they had just come from doing the So album with Peter uh, Gabriel. Oh wow! There's the craziest shit we ever heard. Man. <laughs> <laughs> they were just I had no was, idea. It was just a delight. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, we played. What was that song? That song was about a sledgehammer. It was the craziest <laughs> song I ever heard. It's a cool song. <laughs> but, oh, that's you know, great. just to just to be crossing paths with these people who who were from uh, a, a previous era. Uh, so, so back to equipment, uh, Una and I, 
you know, we, we used a very basic, uh, microphone just like yours there, Corey, you know, an SM7 for vocals and, mm-hmm. and just a simple condenser mic for, for recording guitars. And, and a lot of the thing with microphone is not how much the microphone costs. It's knowing where to put the damn thing, Yes, you know, and, and having a decent instrument to record. And that makes all the difference. So, uh, so I don't get too focused on gear. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad where, where things could be simplified technology wise, uh, which is funny back to the, the, the vinyl subject, you know, I was on vinyl the first time around. Uh, but at that point I didn't have to do the mastering and the, and the equalization and what's it going to sound like on radio. I mean, that actually was much more the concern than what's it going to sound like on vinyl. It's what's this going to sound like on the radio, uh, which people are not near as focused on anymore because there's so many different ways to listen, streaming, and all the the different degradation or non-degradation that goes on with those different formats. It's it's not quite the concern that it was in the eighties of what's this going to sound like on a three-inch speaker on a in a car. <laughs> right. That, that's just a different. That doesn't exist anymore. Was there ever an inclination in your mind in, in 1987 when you're in these big studios with these these great you know producers and these great artists that fast forward to 2018 you're going to be in your closet with a laptop making <laughs> something that sounds better something that sounds <laughs> so ridiculously good yeah was was there any like foresight into that world not really because when at the time we were recording in these studios and we just visited Arden Studios a year ago and not much business going on in those big expensive studios the the music industry the 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 money flow has changed so much that those big expensive places just can't stay in business. So it was kind of sad seeing it. It's still a great facility. They still do good work there, but they're, they're not booked up like they were back when we were recording. I mean, the first week we arrived there, Jim Dickinson is producing the replacements in the studio (laughs) next door to us. You know, Billy Gibbons is walking down the hall. Uh, We were like, we have died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Uh, And that, those those things just aren't happening like that anymore. People are, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. People are making music, great music at home. Yeah, it's the the it's more the, accessible dem- to yeah, create music. democracy of technology. It's like right. you don't the great equalizer. There's not somebody uh, that's holding the keys to the kingdom that you have to get down and beg your chance to to do it. It creates a whole. This creates another whole different set of problems. There's <laughs> right. so much music. Sure. How do you sort it all out? So much noise. But we all can get a chance to put something out there. Yeah, I think it's particularly interesting too. There, I I can't imagine the amount of great songwriters that we've never heard because in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like just wasn't there. Like there wasn't this accessibility that there is now. And and I I truly think that. Granted, there's a lot of songs that come out that I'm like, ugh, like we we gotta stop this. But I feel like <laughs> this uh, must be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta put some legislation in place. But I, but there have been so many songwriters that I've met over the years who aren't a big deal. And and if you ask me like to rank them against, you know, some of the greats, it's like they're not far off. You know, they they just happen to not be famous yet. And they happen to make a record on their laptop, but like it changed my whole world and my whole perspective, just the same way that Paul McCartney did. And you know, I just I I think that it's a great change. And and I know uh, there's a lot of the industry that fights it, like it's not fair that everybody could do whatever they want. And all the big record labels are just kind of like, well, we don't have any power. I love that, like the power is in the song. 
And I mean, granted, if you're just smoking hot, that helps too. That's still there, but like, thank you. <laughs> we're gonna get into that. We've got yeah. some questions. There are more questions. Out. We have <laughs> I but man, like more than ever, the song is getting a chance to actually be heard, appreciated, and put into your soul and let play. You know, without uh, throughout your life. And I think that I love the idea that there's more voices having a voice to, to, to just show us where we are because I feel like we're getting a bigger picture of what like what the world actually That's looks true. like. You can see a lot more perspectives when everybody can yeah have their voice be heard. Yeah I mean it's it's a racket like I mean it's like the idea of having Twitter it's a little scary. That I every- can't I can't get on there. Nope, <laughs> that's where I end. <laughs> it's scary that everyone has a voice but it's also unbelievable because this is what we really look like and and like you said like the gatekeeper is is it's not really gatekeeping much anymore you know and and i think that's really an interesting kind of place we've come to well and that and that takes you into the the whole question of why are you making music are you is it dreams of fame and fortune is it because you want to be rich uh, that used to be the carrot that was hanging out there on the end of that yeah. stick was right. like, you can get really rich doing this. Not anymore. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's much harder to get rich than, mm-hmm. than it used to be. The people are not throwing money around. Uh, so you, so I think uh, back to where Una and I in our li- are, are in our own individual lives of, of asking ourselves the questions, why do you do this? Why do you drag your, your inner soul out there in the shape of a song and play it in front of people who are drinking beer. Right. You know what? Why, why, why do you do that? And are you okay doing that? And are you getting, getting out of it what you need to keep doing it? And there's a lot of different answers to that mm-hmm. question. I've had a couple times in my life where I've tried to quit making music and it's not going to leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> so I've come to peace with the idea that this is just something that I will always do. I have to make it fit my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than making my life fit ambitions of music. You know, music has always been a part of life. Find a way to make it fit your life in a way that you're like, this feels good. This fits me right. Uh, there's a lot, I always talk about it being your, your version of the story. What's going to be your version of the story? Mm-hmm. There's a million different versions. And I think, I think that this has been, for Una and I, making this music together, it's certainly given me perspective and pause to say, wow, it, music has taken me to this place where I'm making making wonderful new art with this little baby I used to hold in my arms. Yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you had told me that when I was in Arden Studios in 1986, that would have been much more impressive than you're going to record it on your laptop. You know? <laughs> you're going to have a baby and you and her are going to write, make some great songs. I'm like, really? How's that going to work? So, uh, so yeah, so there, there we're back to the magic of the trip. It's like, you gotta keep, gotta keep believing in the magic yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, and, and even to your point too, like, why are you doing this? I, 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 it's the same way I feel about even like entrepreneurship because these things like getting famous and getting rich and being an entrepreneur, be a freelancer, not having a job, like all these things seem so ro- like cool and they're all so romanticized, but I'm constantly, even clients we have in here constantly saying like, you don't have to do this for a living. Like you don't have to look at your music and make it so that you can sell it so that you can quit your job and pay your bills. Like it is possible for you to just enjoy this. It's, it really is possible for you to make it, enjoy it. And then go back to the factory you work or go to the coffee shop you work at or be an insurance agent. Like there's for us, there's a lot of different ways to have music in your life. Yeah. yeah. For us, it's it, that it, 
we have to have it. Like it's an insatiable thing. Like life would not be the same if we didn't create for a living. That's all we want to do. And we've tried having side jobs or we've tried like, you know, being younger and just, just kind of doing it for fun. And it just, the only thing is everything for us, but you know, it's, that is the one thing because it's so accessible. And if you have this or you have this, you can make almost anything, whether it be a movie or a song or anything. And I think there's a lot of people who have a perspective that like, well, I guess I, I need to like quit my job and I need to put all the stress on melody and words making me something. And we put so much identity into that. And I think it's, well, it can get so Even just toxic. manipulating this, the music so that it sells so that you can quit your job right. rather than letting the music be. Then it's not about the music. The yeah. music, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? But that's something that we experience a lot in helping people make records is, is, well, I'm, I want to change this or I don't want to do that because I don't think this will sell. And it's like. People aren't going to like it. Or. But. Make the expression that you set out to make and be brave with it. That's know? usually the art that wins out yeah. over, over time. It's the art that changes things. But it's so hard to get people who are maybe in the beginning of their career or, or have, they're hitting a wall to go, well, I'm, I'm hitting a wall because I'm not doing this. Or, you know, even, you know, you, you'll have friends or peers that they'll be like, oh, I read this book about how to make it in the music industry. And it's like, a good song and hard work, like try that first and, and, and maybe this will all make sense to you. But yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to, to kind of want to be like a purist and say, you know what, like I'm going to get to, I'm going to write a great song for the sake of a great song to, to say maybe to help people or to change myself or to learn about myself rather than the majority of, of people that, that, I find that I work with on the coast, like mostly we're just following mathematical equations of how to make a good song. And there's, you know, we have a list of keywords from a publisher that would like us to fit those in because that's going to work for, you know, the commercials that we're writing. And, and, and it's like, whew, like I, was, we, I was looking into, um, you know, ever getting maybe like songs and and tv or commercials mm-hmm. and stuff and yeah it's like like the best songs have like these keywords it's yeah. like love or like <laughs> like making it through or yeah. like, it's like what themes <laughs> yeah. Sell. yeah 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 that's definitely so <laughs> very real like on the on the topic of themes and this one's going to be like from out of left field but it's just something that like we are curious about and and we ourselves consider ourselves spiritual creatures um we've seen as we've listened to both um, solo stuff, your duo stuff, Rainmaker stuff, we've seen like this undercurrent, for example, like Let My People Go. Go? Let My People Go. Go. <laughs> has this has this strong spiritual undercurrent or um, there were a few other that we were listening to. There was a quite a few. We were like words popped out at us. And I guess what we're wondering is, is that, um, does that come from somewhere? Does that come from somewhere? It, it for for my songwriting, uh, particularly from from thirty plus years ago, I grew up in small in a small town. A church was very central to life in that town, and church was very central to my life. And all the spiritual questions that go along with it drove me crazy until I was you know forty years old or something. <laughs> so religious imagery and the power that those words and those characters and those names have in our culture was just like great stuff to write songs with. You could make it humorous. You could make it frightening. You could mm-hmm. make it so many different things because those words and those ideas are, are so 
potent when you when you put them in the form of a song. And writers have been doing that forever. And you know, I mean, most of my favorite writers, there's some song where they're interjecting. Uh, religious imagery. Mm-hmm. I, I told Una, I've just been listening. I can't stop listening mm-hmm. to Leonard Cohen lately. It's oh, been yeah. weeks and months of Leonard Cohen, who died the day after the election. Oh, my goodness. I'm out of here. Yeah. He's like, no. Good choice. <laughs> I'm done. This isn't going to work for me. I'm gone, yeah. But, you know, R- R- Leonard, uh, his whole career has been the, was sprinkled with lots of religious imagery, both Jewish and Christian, and, and, the, and in funny ways and in depressing ways and in... Uh, Satirical. Yeah, I mean, it can be so many different things. So I, as a writer, I always found that very interesting to to bring those ideas in in a particularly uncomfortable way. Uh, I'm certainly not writing just Christian music. That None of these songs would be called (laughs) This is Christian Music. They've been called other things, anti-Christian music and stuff. But usually it's just taking those ideas of of religious imagery and Christian imagery and just twisting them a little bit just to make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. while they listen to think it. Think about like, it a little bit. Yeah, to make you think about it. Sure. Yeah, should, should I be laughing at this? I, I don't think so. One artist that I discovered recently that I have just been fascinated by his exact use of what you've just described is a guy by the name of Parker Millsap. I'm not sure if you're familiar. That name sounds familiar, name. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. His 2016 release, uh, I think it's called, like, the end of the world or the last day or something like that. And it's literally about Armageddon, but it's from, it's like this super dark song. And I get this because a lot of my songs wind up being this. It's this dark song with a happy sound, terribly dark theme from a happy perspective. It's very strange. It's like, here's the end of the world and I'm just going to hoop and holler and applaud for it. You know what I mean? And there's a bomb and a mushroom cloud and a, like it's, Interesting, but you know, and he, there's a lot of biblical reference to Armageddon, and and uh, it's something you might find interesting if that's if that's. Sif uh, Jan Stevens does that a lot too. Oh, yeah? He uses so much, um, it's, uh, so much like Catholic symbolism and and uh, and really visual lyrics uh, involving that, but also to like the very very sad song with the very like beautiful kind of happy. Yeah, confusing, making you feel all kinds of emotions thing. Una and I have a song called East Jesus on, yeah. on this album. And when we were performing in Norway, <laughs> we had played it a couple times, and a good friend of ours said, you need to explain the song a little bit and tell people the title clearly. People thought we were just singing, it's Jesus. It's <laughs> Jesus. No, not quite. My Savior. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I think when you deal with a religious imagery, there's always that danger of, of, it's not a danger. It's just the interpretation. Things are, a song is open to interpretation. What are people interpreting? Back Out of your control. (laughs) Back in the first couple of Rainmakers records, which did have a lot of religious imagery, a lot of humorous religious imagery in it. uh, We would do interviews. I would do interviews with these Christian newspapers that, you know, would see that, well, there's, they have the word Jesus in their songs. It must be a Christian band. So, oh. so I would do these interviews and, and they would say, well, you should, 
you should speak more clearly about your faith in your songs. You should you should lay it out a little clearer. And I'm I like, I don't think yeah. they want you to do that. I'm like, why yeah. don't you start your own band and right. you do it yeah. that way yeah. and leave me alone? That's the line that that you taught me. I think before I left to go um, play music like for people for the first time, and you told me that. Uh, you know, people are always going to ask you to like play a cover or write a song differently. And I've used that so many times. It's like, well, why don't you go start a band and yeah. you can write that song yeah. and you can, and you can play you that cover. It. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can do that. And you can leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be over here not doing yeah. that. People need to hear that more often. I know yeah. Yeah. they really do. <laughs> but East Jesus is actually much more of a political song than it is a religious song. Uh, East Jesus is just, it, there's actually a place called East Jesus. I mean, it's, that it's, it's, you were not aware of. When yeah, that I wasn't song. aware of when I wrote the song. It, it's like a, an, a, it's in, like a unincorporated weird art colony yeah, in California, California where you can I've, camp yeah, out. And I just, have no idea, yeah, really, but way, it looks bonkers. But the idea of East <laughs> Jesus is it's just a, a reference to a place far away, right. you know, way out in the country. Timbuktu. Yeah, kind of out in the boondocks. You know, one of those expressions of, and... In the song, it's much more about these times, and it's about how we are far away from civilization in some of our our ways, and some of our political decisions that our country has made. We're moving away from being civilized. We're moving away from from trust and love and sanity, mm-hmm. and that's much more the theme of the song than anything religious. Right. Speaking, you 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 said earlier that this record turned out a bit more political. Uh, than you meant for it to, but specifically, and and this is gonna, <laughs> I, I I truly am not making fun, but you have a song called "Get on the Bus," so I have a an interesting background with this specific phrase that has nothing to do with voting or getting out there. I was just on, I was on, I was on tour with this band from East Tennessee, and we were loading up out of the venue this one night and these are deep southern boys and for whatever reason like during the process of packing up their singer just starts slapping the van tires like you would like a horse to to get it to run and he just starts yelling get on the bus get on the bus and he just starts shouting this we needed to have him <laughs> so he, in the he background just, he goes crazy he does this for Almost an hour, just like every few minutes, just slapping the tires until we were all packed out. And that's been seared in my brain for years. And so I say it all the time. I've even got my grandparents and like my parents saying it. We just say it for no reason Well, we whatsoever. would do these pranks on tour where we'd be driving by and there'd be a perfectly innocent pedestrian on a sidewalk and we'd just roll down the window and yell, get on the bus! Yeah, it's, it's like Hey Cow, if you've ever played that game, but that's what we used to do. And drive off. So when we were playing the show together, you know, like a couple months ago and you guys start singing this kid on the butt, I literally, I almost fainted. Because like, <laughs> it was... There, I had this. Too I, I went to another place. It was an out of body experience. Like, literally, twenty or thirty people in that venue immediately were like, "They all know that's like a catchphrase that has nothing to do with what it like everyone else in the world knows it for." But for me, it's just something I yell. So, so I'm curious, in the in the vein of writing more political, can you delve into that a little bit more of? Was it, I, we just have to talk about this because it's in our head and that's what's coming out? Was it we need to talk about this because we need to inflict change? Like, why get political from your perspective? And I'm not, I don't think it's wrong or anything. I just, I'm curious, like, what took you there? I think it just, I mean, at least for me, I think it just happened naturally. I mean, we were writing about, 
you know, I think when you and I write, we write about what's going on in our heads or what's going on around us or somehow related to that, you know, in some way. And uh, that this is what's going on around us. And this is what's in our heads. And some of it's, you know, uh, more like pretty songs and, and some of it's like some real political stuff because that's that's what's happening. And I do mm. think it's important to um, include that in our art. I mean, I think that art is the way that we document what's going on a lot and maybe in an unfiltered way. So I think it is important to do that as well. But I don't think that we like set out to make a political album no. or anything. It's almost, it's, unav it's, it's unavoidable yeah. being political right now. Uh, you, you have to be in a huge amount of denial to <laughs> not uh, have it creep into your songs because it's it's everywhere. The, the, the uh, title of the album, For, For Tomorrow, is a song that Una wrote. And it was interesting to see the metamorphosis of that song because when she, the first draft of it was actually more personal mm -hmm. you're kind of writing about your own tomorrow mm -hmm. and then she goes then, then she would change this shifted. part and then yeah, she was like wait i got this other verse and it, then it became about the the country the yeah. culture and believing not losing faith in things being able to correct and right. get better and so that song went from the very personal to the very political uh, in in just the writing yeah, just, process it just of it. naturally yeah. just kind of happened that way so and have you seen with, the video for it i have yeah, i've seen i have video. not so you know the video makes the politics Obviously, clear. Very yeah, <laughs> that that the the parallels between uh, the the civil rights movement in the '60s and when we think of how bad things are right now, you don't have to look very far back into American history. We think, well, it was a whole lot worse at other times. Right. We can we've been off the tracks. We can get back on the tracks. And the the idea of the song that Una wrote was, yeah, just don't stop believing. Don't give up. And the imagery in the in the video articulates all that because it was we just stole a whole lot of clips on YouTube. On YouTube of, of, uh, of we have a lot news. of public domain footage in this music gotcha. video. A lot of news clips and then a lot of public domain film, uh, black and white film footage from the really civil rights mar marches footage. that anybody can use. It's yeah. beautifully shot Gorgeous. stuff, and just cutting cutting those together, where you can't I, quite tell where. You know, there are shots of of protests in Washington, and and by the end of the video, you can't really tell if this is vintage footage or if this is from like this year. That's cool. It's really Which was yeah, it was kind of the point of the video when it got all done. We didn't know that was going to be yeah, the point of the video. Kind of. It's like. Here's people marching. Look at their shoes and decide which decade right. this is. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's like, "Yeah, people have been have been needing to stand up and work on on the political solutions for a long time. And more right. people need to do it. So Harder than things gotta, that are yeah. going on right now. So just don't lose faith and stay in, stay engaged. And that was a. Um, it's like, yep, and that's the title of the album, folks. That's awesome. <laughs> what I want to applaud about that is that that attitude for change. I, I feel like as we look at the world around us and for us younger generation that didn't, you know, get to see the 60s civil rights movement, you know, maybe grew up in the cushy 90s, you know, 80s and 90s, um, it, feel, it feels like our society is crumbling into dust. And then we add in um, the kerosene that is the internet and social media and the safety and anonymity from which we can hide behind a keyboard wall and lob a word grenade at someone. And, 
And so I feel like so many of the loud voices out there that are trying to incite change are trying to incite change in a chaotic Through and hurtful, fear mongering, <laughs> mm-hmm. bullying, Maltov cocktail style. And I see it on both sides. I see it on both sides of the political spectrum. And what I wish especially artists and the art community would learn to embrace is being a loud voice for change, but not, it's not just being loud and a voice. What are you saying? How do we change it is so important. How are you saying it too? And how are you saying it? I think that the, the thing that Una and I were trying to accomplish on these politically, these, these political songs on the album were say it in a way that, is not going to turn anybody off. Because that does no good. East Jesus is is definitely an anti-Trump song, but you wouldn't know that necessarily well, listening to it. I if mean, you watch the on, video for For Tomorrow, though, we're taking sides. Like, I mean, like, that's not, it's well, not and, quite and, 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 and hidden. her mom, uh, my wife, Michelle, who I've introduced my, as my conscience, uh, we, were, we were playing Get on the Bus live in Norway, and talking about the American, the American political situation. And I would say, you know, this is a song to motivate people to vote. We don't care how you vote, just vote. And, and Michelle said later, she said, you know, you really do care how people vote. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Because that, that actually takes it back to what the song is saying. Vote for good constructive reasons. Don't vote for out of fear, out of of hate. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Because even still, you're not saying vote how I want you to vote. Right. Or who I want you to vote for. You're saying vote for right morals. Right. Vote for logic. Vote for reason. Vote for, Proper philosophy and clear thinking and fairness and kindness. Don't be motivated by fear. Yeah. Right. Don't be motivated Don't be by Which is so much of yeah. what's Don't, happening right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So many people are motivated just by the fear of, I, of everything. I do mm-hmm. think it's very important for artists to get more involved. I was yeah. um, really inspired by Alinda Segara from Hooray for the Riff Raff. She's, I think, been like one of the most political like young musicians out there right now and um yeah she's definitely inspired me to to do that more I think I think it's really important I mean you you end up being a narrator for for you know a generation or just anyone who's listening to you um and it's important I think yeah I absolutely think I, I don't think it's a prerequisite that you have to have as an artist but pretty close like if you have the ability to be a someone's voice like maybe try to add to the value of us having a better life or more understanding or a clear picture of what's around us rather than maybe just adding noise. Yeah. Well, and as you were talking about, um, you know, just that we're able to hear so many different perspectives now, it's like, that's, that's why it's important. It's like, you know, uh, like with Hooray for the Riff Raff, it's like, and here's the perspective of like this young Puerto Rican woman, like, you know, here's the perspective of like her and, and her background. And, and I think it's so important that like, we get all of those perspectives now. Like we, it's more accessible. We can hear all of these different stories and it's important that we represent, you know, like what our story is. Um, people need to hear other people's stories. Uh, absolutely. I think it too, something that we're really bad about, and I don't know if it's just cause we live on a mobile phone. I, I don't know, but you know, we, we look out at the like, kind of the political landscape and just, we look on social media and we look on TV and man, it like, like you were saying, like, I can't, I can't get online or Twitter <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Cause it's like 
all of a sudden you're just like you're brought down by it all, and it's or just you're all, triggered, or you're. It just right. looks so dark. It looks so like hopeless, and and I found, man, sometimes though, if I go to a coffee shop and start a, a conversation with a complete stranger, sometimes there's so much light in that person and joy and, and perspective and color that I didn't know. And, and, and I've just, the more I've gotten myself away from like maybe the TV or maybe from away from Twitter or something, there's also so many good people and, and maybe not, they're not the best people. We're not all perfect. None of us are, but realizing that like there's over 330 million of us in this little weird small outline that looks like America. And, and most of us aren't killing each other. Most of us aren't trying to destroy one another's lives. Burn each and, other's houses and I down. think that's really important. Like as an artist, like granted, we always want to like find this rich, just deep emotion and, and pull away from it. But I also think that there's, there's something profound about the fact that we've, some of us or a lot of us have remained somewhat hopeful, somewhat civilized and somewhat like calm in, in the sense that we know that there could be, there's going to like, we're going to get ourselves out of this. Like if we, if we just stay level headed, if we, particularly as artists, I think we, we have to, it's good to look at all these things that are just kind of crazy. These, these big emotions, the highs and the lows and pull from that. But I think that there's something massively, inspirational in this weird monotony that that is nothing that is calm that is just we're mostly all okay we're mostly all trying like there's something that i don't think we're tapping into as artists enough in that spectrum that it's just like the normal like regular there's some hope in there that i think a lot of us need because like i think that's why we're all trying to meditate and slow down that's why we're all trying to like have take social media breaks yeah there's (laughs) we're radically searching for some middle mellow area and and i think i don't see it as much in like the creative songwriter world where we can go like okay what is that and how do i like actually provide a a window into getting there and and i think there are definitely some artists that like when you just got to get away and just find calm that you can go to that i just i that's something that like for me, I'm just like really wanting to pursue, like, how do I provide a way out for like people rather than rallying them up or tearing them down? Cause most of the time I'm just making them sad. Like uh, that's what I've chosen. But like, how do I really give some value to people just to let them know, like, you're going to be okay. Like we can, you can do this. Um, so side note. Yeah. But that's, that's, I mean, that's the power of a song is to get that, try to figure out how to get that message across. And, um, yeah, but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're going to go way far. I have, we have, I have two very strange questions for you as far as where we've been. Number one, when, when researching about you guys and, you know, we, we, we know you from, I know you from one experience ever pretty much, you know, and, and hearing other people talk about you. So, you know, Ooh. we, we tried to do, you know, some research just to get to know you, what we don't know about you. And over and over again, you show up online with a big top hat. Let's talk about the top hat. I want to know when the hat stopped and why. <laughs> uh, the hat stopped after the first album, the first tour. You know, we were, we were. <laughs> I told you it's weird. Incisive question. No, we, the, the, it was, again, a very interesting time for, for our band to be in the music business in that the music business was still a money machine. It was a po- it was possible to become very wealthy. Things could change overnight. There was, but there was a roadmap. 
of how to do that. And mm-hmm. it was the top hat. And the top hat was at the end of that road. Yeah. Uh, so, so part of, part of the, if you signed on with the major international record label, was you had to have a, a defined image helped. And so, you know, we had a, we had professional management. We had, we had the whole showbiz thing and they said, well, you know, let's, let's develop a look here, uh, that you're going to wear on stage. And so, you know, I, I had my input onto it too, but it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a show person. I, I enjoy putting on a show for people. Mm -hmm. One of the nice things about doing this music with Una is it takes me out of that. Mm -hmm. This is totally about focusing on making something beautiful Being like with just genuine sound. and you and just, yeah. yeah. So it's been a, a really healthy and good change for me. My nature is to be a, a, quite a ham on stage and to be a very kinetic performer. So kind of adopting this character of, you know, a, I had this goofy multicolor color hand sewn coat. I had a top hat. I had a, a raccoon penis hanging around my neck. <laughs> uh, you know. You know the 80s. You know, it's the 80s. It's the 80s. Do you had, still had have great, that raccoon penis? I had great, it's somewhere. Yeah. It's in the archives. <laughs> Uh, in the basement you know, somewhere I had, with the top I hat. had my pants rolled up to my knees. You know, I mean, we we wanted to go out on stage and people go, well, I've never seen that before. And, uh, you know, we, we put on a good show. So that was kind of the first stage. I was going to be this kind of rainmaker. I was going to be this, this showman, this uh, huckster, and the top hat was kind of part of that look. And it lasted for one album. That's fine. People still ask me, where's the top hat? Yeah. But, <laughs> to this day. You, yeah. Well, you know, meeting you... You completely separated from that in, in that moment at the show. I was like, "Oh, there's a top hat." Where didn't I did seeing you in those in like that first record era? I was like, "Huh, I I I would have not known." Like, because when I when kind of you were presented to me, if you will, uh, you were this introspective, soft-spoken songwriter. The many sides of Bob Walkenhorst. But I mean that, but that's what you're talking about. It's like you put on that stage persona. Mm-hmm. It's like, But I think one of the good things about those first Rainmakers records is here's a hammer down rock and roll band, but there's still introspective, reflective lyrics in the midst right. of all that, mm-hmm. in the midst of all that kinetic energy, there were still smart, thoughtful lyrics. It wasn't just pour some sugar on me. Well, and it wasn't just like <laughs> let, let's party all night. It wasn't just, it wasn't just empty fodder. And I think that was what made us an interesting band. It wasn't the top hat. It was not the top hat. But that but the top hat was part of it for a moment, you know. And I know right where that top hat is. <laughs> and right you're never the, telling. Right by the <laughs> raccoon parts. It is. I, I was particularly fond of I'm not sure which band member it was that had the big round glasses. That's our, our drummer Pat Tomic, who who's gone through lots of great glasses. And he's the he's the nicest guy in the world. And the most uh accommodating drummer who's put up with all of my direction and all of my telling him how to do things over the years. <laughs> and he's just, he's a great guy and a good friend. That's awesome. As a spectacle wearer, I was like, wow, this, yeah, those are some glasses. He's always there. had great glasses. That's awesome. So the other question that's left field is, uh, it doesn't take long for, uh, you know, searching about you to find your art and your paintings. Uh, I'm curious if that's something that you have done your whole life or it just started somewhere in the middle. Just, I'd like to just talk about your artwork. Okay, that was what I actually went to college for and actually got a degree in fine arts. But I've heard, there's a lot of different musicians who paint. You know, they're, uh, from Tony Bennett to Paul McCartney to to Ron Wood and John Mellencamp. There's uh, Joni Mitchell. I mean, really, she was much more serious about <laughs> painting than she was about music. Uh, 
so it, I've heard it described as it just depends on which crayon you pick up that day is right. music. And I, I've always loved having both. And there have been chapters in my life where I always, I had to do just one. I mean, there's not enough hours in the day. I was pursuing a music career. It was the eighties. It was a great way to make a living. And so it was music all the time. Well, eventually life rolls on, life changes busyness schedules and there's time for both. So yeah, and I, for about the last 10 years, I've been painting a lot of paintings and, and still making music. Have you been having those paintings like put in galleries sold or has it mostly been uh, personal? I've put it, I've had galleries, uh, but just the, the kind of free spaces around town. I'm, I'm very much the old hippie, you know, I, I like the he idea. He prices of, his art way too low. <laughs> I, like, uh-huh. I like the idea of selling paintings for thousands of dollars, but I kind of like better like the idea of people, normal people being able to take art into their home and that piece of art means something to them. It may be the first, it may be the only piece of art they ever purchase. Uh, and they have put a lot of thought into owning that and it's going to mean something to them. And that just fits me. Yeah. That, that kind of fits my mission. (laughs) If I have one, it's like bringing art to the people. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I keep my prices and my gallery spaces uh, accessible and affordable. Um, I'm curious if your art and your painting, if any of that brain bleeds into your songwriting. I know I know for him and, and for some other songwriters, they're synesthetic. So like colors matter to their songs when they're writing because they're actually physically seeing them in their brain and in their, in their eyes or whatever. I don't know how that works. I'm not synesthetic. But, you know, I'm curious if, if they have any correlation whatsoever, if they're pretty separate for you. I think that they're s- separate in that I just try not to think about that. I think if you analyze, uh, if you're self-analyzing about your process, you're going to screw up your process. Uh, I, Una makes visual art. Una makes jewelry. You know, we both like making mm-hmm. stuff. And I think when you when you re when you wind down your process to the fact that I'm happy when I'm making yeah. stuff, yep. it's like, that's about as much as I want to think stuff. about yeah. Go make stuff. <laughs> what it is? I don't know. Yeah. Go quit, do it. Quit thinking about it. Just go make yeah, just stuff. Go make something. That's when I'm happiest. And that's yeah. when, yeah, and Una will do the same thing. It's like, she made a song this day. And then the next day she drew, she drew a great, great drawing. And you, you just happy when it's, in the process, you know, mm-hmm. they, they ask Picasso of all your paintings, what's your favorite painting? He goes, Oh, the next one. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's not, it's not what's, what you've done. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, ne- it's the process that's stay in the process and you're going to make better art. Yeah. I had a really hard time kind of getting out of that for a while where I just would never practice songs because I was just always so excited to write the next one. And then <laughs> yeah. when I started actually playing live, I was like, Oh, I have to practice the songs that I've already written. Yeah. Mm. I was like, this is a whole new way to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were talking, Corey, about you're forgetting, you know, not knowing the songs from two (laughs) albums ago. It's like, get a weekly gig where you have to play them all. (laughs) Then you'll remember them. You won't have to work at remembering them. Really, the only time I could hold on the songs for very long was like, a long tour. So if you'd be out yeah. for 90 days, right. it was like, you at least would know those 24 songs you were rotating, but anything before that, it's just like, mm-hmm. it ceases to exist. It's really funny. Like some of these songs early on in my life, like I don't remember at all, but you'll run into somebody at your hometown or you'll, I'll be at home. And my mom's like, Oh, can you play that song? And I'm just like, 
I don't even. I wrote that. In I don't high know school, what you're mom. talking about. <laughs> but sometimes she's got some video on like the first generation iPad <laughs> that she filmed me like through the door, and when I'm songwriting it, she's like, "That one, that's the one." It's just these strange little things that moms hold on to. Um, one of the things I'm curious about too is, um, you know, what's next for you guys? Like, where I want to ask this in a specific way. Okay, do it. Because I, 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 I had an Let approach rip, to this question. Chip. All right, so. I'm going to list off some some names here. Um, the Rainmakers. We have Bob Walkenhorse. We have Una Walkenhorse. We have Bob and Una Walkenhorse. We have Steve, Bob, and Rich. We have Walkenhorse and Porter. So with two people here. Oh, but you left out Stumpwater. <laughs> Whoa. We never I found we'll just, out. We'll just leave that in. <laughs> and we'll leave it. You know and we'll leave it right there. <laughs> we have Stumpwater. Okay, so all that to be said, and I know a lot of those things are ancient history and, and a lot of those things are not. I want to know in the next 12 months, what, what's happening for any of those things? Duo, solo, what, what's, what, what are you guys excited about for and the how, future? How the heck do you choose? Yeah, like ha- with so many options. But <laughs> what are we as people who are excited and fans of you as artists, what are we looking forward to? Well, you're you're kind of whittling down the, you know, which of those you're you're putting, you know, most of your time mm-hmm. into of the of that list. Um, I, I we have uh, dates, uh, duo dates throughout the rest of the year, and then into the spring, and kind of, you know, every once in a while throughout next year, I think. Um, and then I'm gonna start. You know, I'm going to, I've been playing solo shows while I've been in, back in Kansas city and I'm going to keep doing that and hopefully be working on a second solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, but Just yeah. next year. Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah, we'll, we'll still be playing a lot locally and, um, probably I'll, I'll be doing some traveling next year, but yeah. yeah and the Rainmakers, it's funny when you've got, um, a, a history, you know, that's now like 35 years since our first record. Is that right? So anyway, it's been a while <laughs> and so you have this catalog of, of songs that people want to hear and, and you, it's an odd point. You reach a point where people don't really want to hear anything new from that band. You know, right. they want to hear the, the soundtrack of their college years. They want to say, hear, hear these songs. So you kind of have a, a set list of songs and you can see this happen to everybody from Bob Dylan to even to more, much more recent acts of here's, here's the songs people really want to hear. Mm-hmm. How much are you going to, how much are you going to satisfy people's requests and how much are you going to keep this interesting for yourself? Right. So we're always tight doing that little tightrope walk, playing for Rainmaker shows, playing what we know people want to hear, playing some and not playing some songs that I just don't want to play anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and well, but that's the one I want to hear. I'm really sorry. I hope you heard it <laughs> enough in, in the previous decades because I'm not going to play that song. Uh, and getting and actually getting more pleasure out of playing the more recent songs. So you, you, you do a, a delicate balance there. Uh, I've told you, I've, tra- I've tried to quit music at many times in my life. I don't really have a plan of, and here's the next album, or here's what Una and I are going to do next. It's just going to have to present itself yeah, for we're me. We're kind of back to the beginning of the conversation where we're yeah. just kind of putting putting it out there and living our lives. And, and I think we have both... Um, lived lives where if we, if we put our, you know, positive energy in the right direction, something usually will align itself. Yeah. I was, uh, I was at it knuckleheads a couple of years ago and, and one of my songwriting heroes from the 
70s going into the 80s was a guy named Steve Forbert, who's still out riding, still out touring. And I, I, got, I got to meet one of my heroes. I got to meet Steve Forbert. And, and we were talking about kids. And I said, yeah, my, my daughter's a musician. And he goes, oh, man, you, you don't want her to be a musician, do you? <laughs> and I said, well, you, you know, it kind of worked out for me. I, I, think it's, I think it's okay. I think it's a good job skill. Mm. Uh, I think it's a, a good, interesting way to approach life. And it, Una's path will be what Una's path is. But I think it's a good path for her. I think it's like, yeah, you know. Music's taken me to some interesting places Already. so far. I think it'll yeah. keep going that way, at least for now. So Yeah. And, and if you approach it sanely and right. you're not in it for the lifestyle, you're in it because you believe in the power of art, mm-hmm. it's going to lead you to good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You brought up a couple things with, within that that I'd love to hit on. One, talking about your heroes and, and two, talking about, you know, the job side of it and, and, and a, a good skill. I'm curious how much it's just, you've seen it change since, you know, you started and now, and, and really like when you're approaching your career, do you, do you, what things do you hold on to and go, Oh yeah, those things still matter about like building a career mm-hmm. and, and all the things that are just kind of like coming up now. What's it look like for you to, 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 to look at, the scape or the scope of the music industry and go, this is possible and this is how I can get there and, and kind of just bouncing off of where he's been. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I don't know. I think some of, a lot of the things that you've had to share with me are obviously still relevant. And as far as just, I mean, things that I've learned while we're recording and stuff, but the industry itself is definitely a lot different. (laughs) Um, and I think, you know, right now where I'm at is just that I'm trying, you know, I'm, I, I really enjoy learning a lot about other musicians' stories. So, you know, trying to kind of look at musicians that I really like and see, you know, what, how did it go for them? Like, what was their journey? Or just talking to, when I moved back to Kansas City, one of the things that I really enjoyed is I just started um, getting coffee with different local musicians just to like, what are you, like, how's it going for you? Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like how, how, you know, cause I, I don't think that there's really a direct plan anymore. It's not like, you know, get a record deal and all of that. I mean, there's so many different ways. So I think that I'm just kind of trying to take as much useful information and as in as possible, learn as much as I can from, you know, the, I have, you know, a really great community of, of musicians and, and people in the music business around me here. And, and, um, you know, whether it's my dad or, um, just other people that I've, I've met in the past year here. Um, I think, I don't know. Yeah. I think most of it's just putting it out there and hoping that it ends up going in the right direction. And as much as I've gone on about believing in, you know, the mysticism of art and, and the creative and keeping it simple and all that, Una and I both are very organized people. Yeah, super organized, super budging all the yes, time. And like we're able to kind of split to split our brain into yeah. that part that takes care of the music business right. and the part that takes care of the music to where one doesn't pollute the other too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the thing for I think for Una is, you know, she she is a CSAC writer. She's made some really important contacts and steps already. And you just kind of like take that and it's like, okay, as these things accumulate, like, what does that mean? Like, where does what, this, what's, t- what's the next to? thing? Right. What's yeah. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at right now. And I think the next thing is that, um, I'm looking for a band and then, um, figuring out, yeah, making this next solo album. 
Are you looking for like a big band or? No, um, I, you know, my dad and I played one set with uh, my friend Kara, who's in another band called Blue False Indigo, where he was on drums and she was on keyboard and that, you know, even just that, I think that I've, I mean, except for this past year of playing with my dad, I've really exclusively played solo. So even that I feel like filled out my song so much. So I think, you know, not, not a big band, but I think that it, the next album definitely needs some more. And your songs are so delicate and fragile. Too much sound is not going to to help those songs. It's just right. keeping the keeping the space, keeping the intimacy, and yeah, just but some while very, while building on yeah. it and making it, you know, maybe yeah. a little bit, yeah, getting the message across. So. Do you have the desire as an artist to stop being Una and start being these three people? You know, no, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're my songs. They're coming from a really personal place. Um, I, I don't think I've ever really considered it like I will be writing these songs for a band. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I will be writing, I will be writing these songs and then, you know, hopefully have people who are cool with yeah. supporting me <laughs> on that. <laughs> want to support. Uh, right. Yeah. Creative. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I, and I I'm know. down with supporting other people. I mean, I think <laughs> that it's really a nice give and take when you can, you know, support other artists and then, you know, turn around and hope that they can, will support you as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, you're too damn good. Don't let anybody else take credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think, yeah, yeah. I well, think I you th told me that a while ago. You know, I, I did tell you a long time ago. I said, <laughs> you said if you're writing the songs you and you're the lead that. person, you should just go by your name. <laughs> Lessons learned. Well, cause that way you don't have to, well, who's going to be the rainmakers this time. Right. And, and I'm not dissing my band at all. Playing with those guys has been a great shared experience, and we've been through a lot of really funny and goofy <laughs> and sometimes hard things together. Nothing tragic, but just a lot of bizarre things sometimes. You guys have been in life together for we've a long time. We've been in life together for a long time, <laughs> yeah. so it's been great to share that trip. Um, but when you commit yourself to a band and you establish an audience and uh, a catalog of songs with a band, you're always going to need to be that band right. to some degree. Um, and so I, I kind of, there's parts of me that said, this would have been a little easier if I had just stayed a solo artist. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna regret the band. The band's been great. But I told Una, I said you should always be Una. I feel like you, but I feel like you told me that before I even started playing music. I think <laughs> like, I did. I, I, think, I, I think I did. I, like, I think hey. if you ever want to do this, you should always be. Una. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what to do with I don't this. Know what this means. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, so this this is a question I have for you, mm -hmm. non musical whatsoever. But you seem to have a deep love for cats. I do. Well, it's not, a cat. it's my, my son is really the, I mean, I love all animals. I'm, I love animals, but, um, my son, Mr. Baby, uh, and I have a very, a very special connection. Yeah. How long have you had Mr. Baby? Um, we had our eight year anniversary a few days ago. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah. What kind of cat is he? He is a ragdoll mix. Whoa. Um, they're called ragdolls because when you pick them up, they just go limp because they want you to just cuddle them all the <laughs> mm -hmm. time. So we work really well together. So eight years ago for Christmas, Una got her cat and her first guitar. Yeah, it was a very Whoa. good year for me. Best the same Christmas time. ever. How did, it was was that, did you plan that? You're like, this is going to be a great oh, mix. No, he, Defining he year. The cat was a surprise to me too. <laughs> my mom, I was feeling uh, really depressed and my mom was like, you know what would make you feel better? Probably a kitten. And I was like, yeah, probably, probably, <laughs> probably true. So we went and there was a, you know, we had a whole long trip ending up to Mr. Baby, but uh, we, we brought the cat home and told my dad that we were just fostering him. 
You got duped. I, because I run this house yeah, with an iron Yeah, because he's going to kick that kitten out of the <laughs> house. Yeah, you know, Put that kitten on the street. What I say goes around his house. <laughs> well, I just I just noticed that about you. I think we even yes. might have had a cat conversation at the show a few months back. Yes. I'm a huge cat person, but everyone around me, is do- they're all dog people. No, see, I, I wasn't really a cat person until I got my cat. I love cats. I will hang out with like any cat. We are like totally chill. Um, but I mostly grew up with like more close relationships with dogs. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, really any animal I'm, I'm down with. I, yes. I just like anybody who treats a cat like a human. Oh, yeah. Because like, I feel like dogs, you can treat like a, a friend, but realistically, Absolutely. You're like, it's a dog. It's yeah. it's my dog friend. But cats yeah. are different. Um, cats are, yeah. they, they're meant to be treated like <laughs> my they are, son they are is a, like a small royalty. man in a, in a cat suit. So I didn't know that there was a cat that you picked up and went. It's limp. called a rag doll and you need to go. get I know one. exactly <laughs> what you guys are talking about. I had a cat that was that way. It's it's it just kind felt of like, like spaghetti. It feels like you mix. picked up like a fistful yes. of spaghetti and it just drapes yeah. down in your hand. It's yeah. kind of like those fainting goats. Yes, <laughs> except a like cat. Yeah, too. both of my cats are are one was from a farm and one was from the wild. And <laughs> and when you pick them up, they're like they don't go limp. They attack you oh, and no. eat you and they I growl and they're like, no, we're not doing this. Mr. Baby never uses his claws. Mr. <sighs> um, Baby, I did get him from the pound, but he obviously did not belong in the pound. No. No, he's very special. So little, Una walked into a room full of, have you ever been to a, a cat shelter? Well, the, it was like a room. chain link, like fenced in area mm-hmm. of like the basement of the shelter that's just like full of cats. Oh, God. You know, it's and like so going you, into an, an insane room. And so you <laughs> walk in and there's cats like landing on you, jumping off of the ceiling. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you're, you could die. It's a yeah. cat NATO. And, and then in the middle of the floor, I see, um, this tiny white cat and it was Mr. Baby. And he, uh, sits up on his back feet and he raises his hands into the air. And no. I was like, it's that one. That's the one. He's like, mom, yeah. mom, you mom pick me, me up. Yeah. It was That's meant to amazing. Be. Yes. Yeah. It's nice when He's you He's my get- best friend. Hey, I know how so. you feel. My my, I have a cat named Lydia, and she follows me everywhere. It's such a good cat name. I feel like the thing is, is our cats. I name everything like it's something that really matters, and something that like I wouldn't. It's like how, how I would name a child. Like I don't want to pick like something like I had a cat growing up named Stinky. And he was the meanest cat. Probably because he, he was named Stinky. I know. And I mean. felt like I did the wrong thing. Like he would kill other cats. Like, oh my God. He was, yeah. I made a murderer by naming a cat Stinky. And I, I've always felt like I'm never going to do that again. They're going to have just beautiful names. It's Zara and Lydia. Like <laughs> Mr. Nice Mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Don't Kill Other Cats. Yeah. yeah so. Nerf teeth. No teeth. Yeah. yeah. I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to know, like, I, I follow you on Instagram and so I um I keep seeing this beautiful, awesome, just loving cat show up and I'm like, we have to talk about I this don't cat. really enjoy being on social media. I really look forward Same to Z's. this like, you know, maybe one day I'll like have enough money that someone else can do that shit for me. <laughs> but so yeah, it's it's either usually like here's where I'm playing or this is my cat. Right. That's mm-hmm. about all I can do. What else is I there? mean, those are the those are the important things that are going on. Sometimes I can merge the two together and yeah. All right. So here it is. I asked this question to everybody who's on the podcast. It's, it's abusive. No one likes it, but this is what we're sticking to. I just would like for you to let me know in your opinion and just your opinion, what's the best record of all time? At least for you. It's below the belt, isn't it? <laughs> 
if you have to die, you have to go to the desert island. You get one record. I take Beatles White Album because that's like five records in one. There you go. <laughs> he thinks that's logical. very economical. Yeah. I'm like so. I'm I'm exceptionally bad at this question because I, um, my like short term like my memory is just like anything that's not here with me is just like non-existent. Um, so I'm going to say, I, I'm just going to go with the album that I've been like obsessed with lately, um, which is Stranger in the Alps by Phoebe Bridgers. That I just over and over again, so amazing, such a fantastic album. I don't know. I don't know that it is my favorite album of all time. I don't have enough time to think on that, but it is probably in, in, uh, in the right top now, there. In, in the top moment. there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's good. That was quick. That's good. That was a really lot good. of a lot of people. It's like we have to take bathroom breaks. They well, gotta, they, that's they the thing. Go I'm not going to sit here and like try to. Think of. I'm like I. I think that I think that's as close as I can get into this moment. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for being here Absolutely. in our studio. I think it's a little less warm now <laughs> yeah. than it was. So hopefully, it's time to turn the air on. <laughs> Where can we find you? Um, you can find us on Facebook. As Bob and Una Walking Horse, you can find um, our upcoming dates there, and you can find our music. It's streaming. It's on pretty much anywhere you can find music, and it's in a. Do we still have it in any of the local record stores? Um, it should be stocked, or will maybe be it's stocked. Still, it's, it's still out at uh, Vinyl Renaissance. Vinyl, Vinyl Renaissance. Music, w- music with merit. Uh, records, records with merit. And uh, fair, uh, FM music up in Northtown. Yeah. Um, and then you can find my solo dates on Facebook as well under Una Walkenhorst. And we have this ancient thing called a website, rainmakers.com. Mm-hmm. That we have, <laughs> we got that website when I didn't even know what a website was. Some, <laughs> some college students started and gave. So we've had a website for a long time, and you can see uh, a lot of outdated videos. And, and you can look at your you, your paintings. And are you can see my right? paintings on there, oh, and, awesome. and also information about house concerts and and what the rainmakers are doing too. So. That's yeah, great. If you want to find any pictures of Mr. Baby, you can go to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that is very important. It's really, so. Uh, yeah, you need to know that. So you guys also have a couple of shows coming up? Yes. What do we have coming up? Our next duo date is the 27th at, at the Gospel Lounge mm-hmm. at Knuckleheads. Okay. With um, Sasha Groshong on ooh, cello with us again. Sasha's so good. She was oh just here God. last week. Really? Yeah. yeah She's we, a good they, pal of ours. The she, Wires recorded she's from Christmas. Day. amazing. Playing with her for our album release show was seriously one of, like, that might have just been the most fun I've ever had on stage. It was so so great playing with her. She's and, great. And she's uh, um, amazingly easy and and j- enjoyable to yeah. work with. Lots of times it's when you bring so in an outside player, you know, you're just kind of figuring out how you're going to get through it. Boy, Sasha is just like, let's have a party. Let's play some <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, well, it's just, she's just fun. And then she's a fantastic musician right. on top of it. Right, so. right. I was going to say, especially for bringing in a classical uh, player <laughs> with like folky music where we're like, uh, we're in G, we're doing one, six, five, four, you know, uh, a lot of times they'll want charts, but Sasha, she just has, she has yeah, ears. She, hears she has it. wonderfully functioning ears. And well, from the first time I worked with her, I realized, oh, she's playing the song. Yeah. She's not playing the part. Right. She's playing right. the song, right? which is, that's what she's she so talented. Yeah. So we're playing with her on the 27th. Um, February 1st, we will be at the West Sider, right? Um, I will be playing a solo set. We'll be playing a duo set and then you'll be playing a solo set. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're, when are we opening for Brewer and Shipley? Oh, I don't know what the date of that is. February is it, I think 9th. February 9th, I think. February, yeah, 9th. February 9th at Liberty Hall, which I haven't been in in years. Yeah. Liberty in Hall is yeah. 
so special. I'm, yeah, I'm so place. excited. I've seen so many. It's when I when we got to play at the Uptown last year. I was like super stoked, and I'm very stoked to play to play Liberty Hall as well. I love the Liberty Hall because one, it's beautiful from an artist perspective, but two, like the stage is so low. Mm-hmm. I, I so my favorite songwriters ever were the Civil Wars. And I remember seeing them in the stage, just like perfectly low that like they're kind of above you, but it, there's no rails or no guard. And so you're just like smashed up against <laughs> everybody. And that place is just, it's, it's there's some magic in that room. So yeah. that'll be, that really, be fun. really cool. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being here. This was super, super fun. It was great. My name's Corey. My name's Sean. This is the Shadowscape Podcast and we'll see you later. Oh, but the air, she carries me back again to a place where no